0: coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the first day of May, 2022, to your advantage. We have the opportunity, once again, to look at God's Word. We're in that section we call the Upper Room Discourse. Although Jesus may have already left the room and be moving now, to the garden, but he's still talking with his disciples and he's going to tell them some more about the Holy Spirit. As we look at this section that we have read in the latter part of John 15 and then and the first part of chapter 16, we we are introduced more to the role of the Holy Spirit than what has been covered so far as Jesus has introduced this comforter, this helper, this assistant. And he begins with some cautionary words. As we said uh, when we did the scripture reading, that Jesus had spent some time talking about the nature of a true disciple was one who abides. One who, not only when was called to follow, followed, but then abides in Christ, takes the life of Christ in and through them, lives out that life in front of others. And it's not some sort of mystical thing in the sense that we say, well, we need to be connected to the one that we call Savior and Lord. We need to be knowing what he has to say so that we can speak it. And, And we were in Sunday school this morning looking in Philippians chapter two and made comment that Jesus repeatedly said through the gospels, I do those things which the father tells me to do. And I say those things which the father tells me to say. In much the same way, when we abide in Christ, we do what our Lord tells us to do, and we say what the Lord tells us to say. We get those things primarily through the word, but we'll look at another uh, element that the Lord adds into, into this, and it's to our advantage, and hence the title of our message the, this morning, To Your Advantage. To your advantage. Jesus begins by talking in verses 4 through 7, contrasting then and now. And then we read these words, and he says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Well, what kind of things did he say? Well, first of all, we saw that he was promising the helper in verses 26 through the end of chapter 6. 15, he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit here, this helper to you. But then he has also wrapped that up around the idea of persecution and people coming after believers, just like they came after Christ. And he says, I didn't say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you ask, where are you going? Here's the situation. We can put our hearts and minds in the minds and hearts of the disciples. They're listening to what Jesus has said. And maybe some of this is starting to sink in. For Jesus had repeatedly said that he was going to Jerusalem and that he was going to take be taken by the leadership, the, the priests, the Pharisees. And he says, and they were going to put him to death. And then he was going to rise again, but they heard put to death part, which would capture our attention as well. And he says, I didn't tell you some of these things that I'm going to tell you now, because then I was with you. They had seen him. They had watched him. They had observed him, whatever words you'd like to say, they had seen him. From first thing in the morning till late at night, they had seen him when he was tired and when he was refreshed, when he was hungry, when he was filled. They had seen him perform miracles. They had heard him preach, but he was with them. They, he had said to them, follow me. And they had followed, and they were with them. And that was then. And he says, so I didn't tell you too much about what I'm going to tell you. Because then I was with you. Then I was with you. But now there's sorrow in your heart. Why? Because it said, I'm going away. There's sorrow in your heart now because you couldn't handle the truth about some of these things until now. Now you're sort of primed for this because. The question that comes up, and you didn't want to press the issue, where are you going? Because you didn't want to hear some of the answers. You didn't want to know what was going to happen. And he says, He says, I, I have said these things to you, but sorrow has filled your heart. They had heard those things, and they were heartsick. If someone we loved, someone we cared, said, I'm not going to be with you anymore, what would be our response? We would feel the same way. We would feel the same way. We would say, what are we going to do? And that might be a selfish thing, but it goes to our heart. We go, I'll be lost without you. How? how how am I supposed to go on from here if if you're gone? And he says, and so what has happened is it's sort of unspoken among you, but all of you are feeling the same thing. You're all at a loss about these words when I say I'm going to be gone. In verse seven, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. It is to your advantage if I go away. Let's pick up on that word advantage for a moment. If you were playing tennis, maybe you know this, maybe you don't know this, but in a, in a, in a game and in a set, you can come to the place where you get tied and now you come and you say, how do we finish this off? Well, somebody has to get the advantage, and then from that advantage, finish the game. Or the same thing in the set. Get to the place where it's the advantage, and then you can finish the set. No one wants to be on the other side of that when the other player has the advantage and you don't have the advantage. Because now, to, to win a game, you have to start by, beating the person with the advantage and at least bring us even again. So we understand what it means to have an advantage to get to the place where this is good. If somebody says, well, you have an advantage in this situation, you go, oh, that's good. That's a good thing. When you use an illustration from another game, chess. I don't know how many of you play chess. I play it as not as well as I play checkers, and I played checkers horribly. But I know a little bit about chess, and I know that one of the key pieces in chess is the queen. The queen has the mobility to move in, in any direction, north and south, east and west, and can move multiple spaces, not limited like a pawn or any of those others and it has that flexibility. Queen is a valuable piece. And you go, the loss of the queen is not the end of the game, because the king is the key one for the, towards winning the game or losing the game. But the queen is such a valuable piece. It would be like Jesus saying, it's to your advantage to lose the queen. And you go, what? No, that isn't how this works. It isn't to your advantage to, to lose you. As as Jesus was talking to the disciples, if I go away and you lose me, it's to your advantage. They go, how can that be? We lose one of the most valuable pieces on the, on the whole game set. How can losing the queen be an advantage? How can losing you, Jesus, be to our advantage. I don't get it. But he's not talking about tennis, and he's not talking about chess. He's talking about their lives. And he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. He says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you but if I go, I will send him to you. What are you saying here? He says, as, as much as you see me as valuable, and I can appreciate that. He says, it's to your advantage if I go away. And you go, how can that be? How, how in the world can your leaving be an advantage to us. Well, they have gotten a little taste of it already. Remember in the ministry, Jesus just sent them out two by two out into the different villages. When they went out two by two into the villages, how many Jesuses went out there? They didn't have Jesus to go with them. If Jesus went with one of the pairs of disciples, the other ones didn't have him what Jesus is making reference to and why it was to their advantage. He says, if I go away, the Holy Spirit can come. And if the Holy Spirit comes, he can be with all of you all of the time. Doesn't matter if you're separated. Doesn't matter if this person or this group goes off that direction, this person or that group goes off another direction. The Holy Spirit can be with all of you. And that's to your advantage. To your advantage, I am sending the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on from there to talk about what the Holy Spirit would do. And he gives us two uh, elements here. One, the Holy Spirit in the ministry in the world. And then the Holy Spirit in the ministry of the heart and the life of believers. And it's all here in a few short verses in this passage. And he says in verse eight and following, and when he comes, he will convict the world. And so this first segment has to do with the Holy Spirit and the relationship to the world. Now he's not talking about the planet here. He's talking about the people in this world and the world system. He's talking about those who do not know Christ as savior and Lord, even though that concept really hadn't been literally fleshed out yet because he hadn't gone to the cross. But looking back, we would say that. The difference between a true believer, a true follower, a true abider, and one who is not, he's talking about the knots, Okay, and he says, what is the role of the Holy Spirit then in that's advantageous to you if... If I go away and I sin him, what's the advantage to you? And he says, because you won't be alone. As you're out doing ministry, and I'm going to ask this Sunday school class, okay, the two things we're supposed to do in building up disciples is, number one, hmm? birthing. birthing, and second one, growing, growing or evangelism and edification, if you like the bigger terms. Okay? And so he says, it's to your advantage I go away, because when you're working in the world and you're dealing with the areas of evangelism and sharing the truth in the life, you're going to want to have the Holy Spirit working in the hearts and lives of those that you, as ministers of reconciliation, are working with. So this is what he's saying. And he says, the principal role of the Holy Spirit, as he says, centers on this word. In verse eight, he says, he will convict the world. Now we think in conviction more along the lines of, a, of something in legal action where a person is prosecuted or something. But it's more than that. Is the idea of, of exposing those things that are false, revealing those things are truth, showing the error error of the world's thinking in the lives of those who live in this world. And he says, that's what the Holy Spirit is gonna do. So when you're out doing what I have called you to do, and he was soon to give them the the great commission, he says, when you're disciple-making, when you are sharing the faith and bringing people to Christ as ministers of reconciliation, when you then help them to go on in discipleship and grow. He says, when we're focusing on the world, you're not alone. The Holy Spirit is going to be working in their hearts as well. And he says he's going to focus on these three things of sin and righteousness and judgment. And then, because we probably wouldn't know what he's talking about when he's sin righteousness and judgment, he tells us concerning sin because they do not believe in me. And so the problem that the Holy Spirit will be addressing in the lives of unbelievers is the fact of their unbelief. He says, I am going to deal with, with their sin and bring it to light and show them that they are in desperate need. I don't know how much evangelism you have done, but to try and convince somebody against their will, forget it, it's not gonna happen. The only way a person will come to Christ is when they're convinced that their sin is put them in a terrible position under judgment of God and deserving of death. And who does that? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. He's come into the world to expose sin or to convict the world of sin, basically their unbelief, and show the error of their thinking. In other words, if they say, hey, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. Holy Spirit goes, oh no. The role of the Holy Spirit in the life of an unbeliever is no. You're not okay. You know, you are separated from your Creator. You are living an independent life while dependent upon Him for life itself. And you have rejected His authority over you, You and you stand under the wrath of God and 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 judgment, do you see what terrible position you're in? That's the role of the Holy Spirit working in the life of unbelievers. But he's not done. He says also concerning righteousness. He says because I go to the Father, and Jesus says I'm going to go to the Father. Huh? So what's that got to do with the role of the Holy Spirit being advantageous to me? If you go away and you go to the Father, how I don't get it. When Jesus walked and talked with those in the land of Israel, when he went about his ministry and his disciples were with him, they could look at him. They could hear him. They could see him. And as Jesus said, towards the end of his life when he was under trial, he says, which one of you convicts me of sin? Which one of you has found me at fault? And what we're talking about is Jesus lived a righteous life in their midst. But he says, I'm going to be out of here. There's no way that anybody is going to see me anymore. I'm not going to be Seen, I'm back with my father. And so the Holy Spirit then has to reveal the true character and the nature of Jesus Christ as well as the first one, sin, their, their dreadful, terrible position of being in sin and under the judgment of God, he says, also to show the character and the nature of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. So Jesus, the embodiment of what is right. But he will be unseen because Jesus has returned to the Father. The Holy Spirit makes that known. Reveals the nature of Jesus Christ. And then finally, he says, And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And here he comes to that last element. Satan himself, the leader of the rebellion against God, is under condemnation. And the point being, how does that help a believer in this world as the Holy Spirit comes? He says, listen, it is like banking on something that's already bankrupt. If Satan is already standing under judgment and has yet to experience the full weight of judgment, but he is condemned already. It says the Holy Spirit then makes known that this whole world system is bankrupt. We've used the illustration before. Let's say you just got your paycheck, right? Yay, paycheck, right? And you run down to the bank and as you get to the bank, it's not a holiday, but the bank doors are closed. And there's a sign across the door and it says, Bankrupt. And you go, oh man, Bankrupt. Well, I'm glad they have an automatic deposit around the corner, i just slip it in there and <laughs> shut the thing. You go, what, why are you doing that? Didn't you see what the sign says, it's Bankrupt. What are you putting the deposit box and putting your check in there? Do you realize you will never see that again? It'll, you've lost it now. Anything that you deposit in that is gone. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of unbeliever is to show them that they are making deposits in a bankrupt system, and the head of the system is already. Indicted and waiting judgment. See what he's saying? So when it comes to the world, the Holy Spirit then is to convince or convict or to reveal and to expose the bankrupt system of this world. But he says it's here to your advantage in another way too. And that is, it is to your advantage. As believers, listen to what he says in verse 12. I have many other things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. And he says, (laughs) I I look at a phrase like that and I go, yeah, I bet he does. The son of God who knows everything has a lot more to say, has a lot more to reveal. And if he wanted to to have me sit down and take notes, I'm going to get hand cramps because... (laughs) there's a lot more that he could share but he's going beyond that he says you can't bear this and but when the holy spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth and so what do we see that the holy spirit would do and why it would be an advantage when he comes into the world he's going to convict the world but when he comes among believers what is he going to do? He's going to guide the believers into all truth. Show you the way. And he says, first of all, he says, he will guide you into the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he speaks and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So first of all, he says, he is coming with full authority from me. I just love this whole picture of, Of the triunity because Jesus said all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth who gave that to me the father now he turns around and he says and I give all my authority to the spirit and so if I go away he's going to do what I do only it's going to be better for you because he'll be with each one of you no matter where you go and what you do He says, I, the Holy Spirit's going to come with full authority. He will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he speaks. He will declare to you the things that will come. Have you noticed this phrase? This is a parallel to what Jesus said when he was involved in his earthly ministry. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. The idea that Jesus came and he placed himself under the authority of the Father, and says, I'm going to say the things the Father tells me to say, and I'm going to do those things that the Father tells me to do. And now he says, I'm going to send the Spirit, but he's not going to go off on his own tangent and do his own thing. He's going to say the things that I tell him to say. He's going to do those things, which I tell him to do. And we see this whole chain of authority being passed down. And he says, so it's going to be to your advantage. You're not missing out on anything except my presence. You'll have that one day. But in the meantime, you're going to have the Holy Spirit and his ministry is going to be multiplied among every one of you. In other words, Jesus said, I have more to tell you. But I'm just not going to say I have more to tell you than go away. He says, I have more to tell you. But I'm sending in the spirit. And when he comes, he'll carry on. He'll carry on. He will continue to teach. He will ten, continue to guide. He will continue to share the truth. Jesus has not done discipling. In fact, he's going to go on and take you beyond this to show you how it's all going to end. He will declare to you the things that are to come. Someone says, what's what's the purpose of the book of Revelation? And the answer is obvious, to confuse us with all the weird pictures. No. One of the purposes of Revelation is for us to get a a different view of the the risen Savior, glorified Savior, and, and the picture of majesty there, and to show the deceitfulness of Satan and everything like that. But one of the big things about the book of Revelation is to say how it ends. Who comes out ahead? Who wins? He says, the Holy Spirit's going to let you in on it. The Holy Spirit's going to teach you. it's going to show you how it all ends. And as much as I told you how bankrupt this world system is, and he's convicting the world of that, I'm going to tell you how how fruitful and prosperous it is to be walking with me and trusting me and how it will end. When we come to the last statement, he's going to guide you into all truth and he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare to you. There's that repeat of that Idea, He says, all the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say to you, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And he says, don't be sorrowful about me going. Because when I send the Holy Spirit, he's going to bring him to mind in you. And in your heart and mind, I will be glorified. I will be lifted up. I will be exalted. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We talked about the picture of, of the Holy Spirit. And, and one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he prepares the way for Jesus into the hearts and lives of believers. Unbelievers. Brings them to the point of salvation. And then guides them into All truth empowers them to live the life that God has called them. We'll talk about that some more. He's going to get back to the Holy Spirit again as we continue this study. But I just wanted to say, the disciples went from a place of sorrowing. And Jesus said, don't be sorrowful. I get it. I'm going away. You're going to miss me. I understand that. I'm not oblivious to how your feelings, but I'm telling you, it's to your advantage. You will be in a better position because of, I'm gone away, because I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And all these things that you have come to rely on in me and see in me, the Holy Spirit is going to bring to your heart, bring to your mind, going to be at work in this world and being at work in your heart and life as well. So you need not be sorrowful. It's to your advantage that I go away. And to that we can go if we believe it. Amen. Thankful. Jesus, you are looking out for us. You knew our cares and concerns. You know what's in our heart. And you speak to them. Those issues before we're even bringing them to mind and vote and vocalizing them and saying them, you're the one that's addressing them. So, says it's to your advantage because I was with you, but I'm gonna go away and in the world, he's gonna convict the world, reveal the true nature of things and in the life of a believer, He's not going to convict. He's going to guide. and Show how you ought to live. And if the truth be known, we come to the Lord's table and one of the phrases that Jesus himself says and Paul says, we do show the Lord's death until he comes. We do this in remembrance of him until he comes for us and the Holy Spirit reaffirms those things over and over again. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this passage. We're thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit who comes and indwells the life of every believer, and as we yield ourselves, he fills us, empowers us, leads us, guides us to live this holy life that you have called us to and reassures us that in the future we will see you face to face and enjoy you forever. And we give thanks in Jesus' name, amen. Share the elements of the Lord's table We speak to those who have been here many, many times. We realize that they're just emblems, broken, unleavened bread, some grape juice. That's all they are. That's what they stay. But we use them, and the Lord used them, to speak to something in our hearts and lives about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. His body broken for us. Is blood shed on our behalf. And Paul, when he's writing to the church at Corinth, who had a multiplicity of problems, he says, prepare yourself as you come to partake. And as we've said before, I don't believe a believer should pass up on the, on the Lord's Supper. They say, well... We're supposed to eat in a worthy manner. I don't feel very worthy right now. Maybe you've been struggling. Maybe you've got sin in your life that's unconfessed and and the Lord's been convicting you. The Holy Spirit's been doing His job. (laughs) And you go, I'm not sure. He says, it's one of the reasons why we tell you to prepare. And how do you prepare? Confess. Say, Lord, here I am. Why you picked me, I have no clue, but you did pick me. And here I am, your child, by your grace and mercy, I don't get it, but boy, I stumbled and I have fallen and I have chosen things that were less than your glory. Forgive me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from 10% of our unrighteousness. No. All our unrighteousness. You say, well, what if there's things that I have done that I've offended him but I don't know? You leave that to him. You take care of the things that you know. How do I, how can I say that? I said, because the Holy Spirit, according to Romans 8, takes the things of our heart and with words unspoken lifts them up to the Son who brings them before the Father. So we'll give you a few moments here. And if you say, oh, I really feel unworthy. I feel like there's sin in my life. I don't know if I should partake or not. Take these few moments and get right with God. Doesn't, doesn't take a long time. You don't have to pull out the sackcloth and ashes and throw it in the air. Weep and wail. It's not a bad thing, but don't do it here. The ladies don't want to clean up after you. (laughs) And I don't mean to make light of this. What I'm speaking to is your heart humbled before him, repentant. Take a few moments before the Lord, and then we'll share these elements together. even a few moments of quietness seems like a long time but we're thankful that because of your gracious provision and our acceptance of your son as our Savior we have been clean all over and all we come before you is in need of foot washing and you clean us And we're good. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we confess our sins, you do forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we come to share these elements, Heavenly Father, we're mindful of our great need and your great gift in your Son. And we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would come, please. Amar has been coming and recently came and been part of our fellowship, and uh, we put him to work today, right? So I'm going to ask Amar if you lead us in prayer as so we go to share the first element the broken bread.
1: Our Heavenly Father and our God, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have come here to exalt and to take of the Lord's Supper and remembrance of you, Lord, we pray you lead us by your Holy Spirit to guide us, and Lord, we thank you for each and every one here. That as our pastor has taught us and preached to us, that we may not only cite our own hearts, but we will come with the full assurance that you are forgiving us. And we want to show our thanks and our gratitude and our remembrance of you participating in the Lord's Supper. We thank you for the privilege of being here and to participate. And we just pray all this in your name, O oh Lord, and for your sake. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 amen.
0: We recently celebrated a Passover Seder, and Jesus took that last Passover with his disciples and took the bread after the supper. If you can remember, that was the one that was that middle layer of three matzahs, took it and broke it, and it was hidden, came back, and then it was broken. Jesus said he broke it and gave it to his disciples. We drew a picture there from the three matzahs, of the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ was broken. And we looked at the matzah, you can see some of the stripling there and the burned edges there showing the suffering that Jesus went through, pictured even in the matzah, which I think is so cool. But Jesus took it and he talked about his body broken for them, lest he eat it in remembrance of him. Likewise, coming out of that Passover um, picture, Jesus took the cup after the supper, which would have made it the third cup of the four cups that are used in a Passover. And even today, it's known as the cup of redemption, which I think is powerful. Because that's how even the Jews call it, the cup, and, and blessed it and gave it to his disciples. I'm going to ask Mike if you lead us in prayer as we share the cup.
1: Father, again, we thank you and we praise you, Father, for your, your grace and your mercy upon us, for your Son upon the cross and the blood that was shed for us, so that we may be redeemed, we may be free and live and have eternal life. Father God, let our lives glorify you and our lives be lived out as a thanks for the great price that was paid for us. We give you glory and honor, and in Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Amen.
0: take the cup of grape juice the fruit of the vine and it speaks to us of the blood that's shed by Jesus Christ on our behalf and we partake a new covenant was established through his blood a covenant of life a special kingdom, a kingdom of God ruling and reigning in our hearts we celebrate that we can have that kind of relationship with the living God that was purchased by his blood. Let's treat to that relationship. I'm gonna ask the men to come around and, and pick up the cups, if you will, please.